Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So it's not just drawn away by the desire, but then enticed. So I think drawn in is one thing, but then enticed is starting to lead to action. So drawn and enticed. So now there's a, a desire to act upon it. And then in verse 15, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Mark it. Man, I'm telling you, that is a scripture that plays out over and over and over again. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Something's going to die. Sin brings death. Something is going to die. Apart from the appropriating the blood of the lamb in circumstances, something would die. And that's true. You know, sometimes friendships, because of sin, can be destroyed because of sin. But through the impartation of the blood of the lamb, through the forgiveness, and through acting upon that and expressing that one to another, God can restore a friendship, a relationship, because of the blood of the lamb. But Satan uses it and wants to have it for total destruction and annihilation of things. But because of the blood and the appropriating of the blood of the lamb, things can be saved. Now, what about Bathsheba? Real quickly, thinking about maybe what is going on. In Proverbs 11, Proverbs 11, verse 22, it gives us a little bit of an insight about what's going on or not going on here. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, okay, so a ring of gold in a pig's snout looks pretty inappropriate, right? How's that fit? It doesn't. A nice gold ring in a pig's nose doesn't, you know, it doesn't fit, right? So is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. <laughs> I love the Proverbs, how they're written. I, I, I really do. It, it, uh, I don't know, tickles something inside my mind or something. I just, I really like the way they're written. You know, they just, it kind of, it's descript, you know. I, I can see, in my mind's eye, I can see this gold ring in a, in a pig's nose. And it just, God, that looks stupid, man. Who'd put a gold ring in a pig's nose? Well, and then you read the next part. So is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Yeah, they both look stupid. Right? They're in, they don't fit. They don't match, right? It doesn't match. It does not match. That's the whole thing. It doesn't fit. Well, maybe she's doing, th you know, she's a, a beautiful woman, but she's doing something and in a place where she shouldn't be. I think there's where you get into, let's go on. Let's finish this out. We started at 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. When I was reading through this and thinking about it, this is the scriptures that the Lord just brought to my mind while kind of contemplating this. First Peter. Hit second Peter, you've gone a little bit too far. Let's pick it up in verse three of chapter three. Do not let your adornment, this is a speak Peter is here speaking to ladies. 
He says, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Now, some people say, oh my gosh, you can't wear earrings, you can't wear, you know, you can't do whatever, whether you color your hair or you don't, or whatever it is. Um, but you, you can't do any of this stuff uh, because it's drawing attention to, no. I love uh, J. Vernon McGee. Man, he's a great, great old feller. His whole thing was, you know, he just said, well, he said, some people say that, but you know, y'all know if the barn needs painting, you got to paint the barn. And that's what he used to say. So I kind of, I like that. I'm glad he said it, not me. I just get to repeat it. I, I bear no, no blame in any of it, but I just think it's kind of funny. But the idea was in this scripture is that your identity as a woman is not in your appearance in totality. There's nothing wrong with looking nice. You know, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But the totality of who you are, your total identity is not in that. And so that's good. That's a good word. It says, rather let, in verse 4, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So you want to know what's precious in the sight of God? Something that God really sees as value is that gentle and quiet spirit. That's the incorruptible beauty that can lie within a woman. And I think so that's important. That's, you kind of see the contrast. It's not just in the outward appearance. In Titus, let's finish this with Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, same kind of context, basically, kind of just New Testament instructions uh, for ladies. Titus chapter 2, I believe beginning again with, uh, I think, verse uh, 3. Uh, the older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And again, I think the focus there is that, you know, our interaction is in the Lord and healthy and that it honors God. Our interaction basically honors God. Our relationship between husbands and wives honors the Lord. Now, when you look at this with Bathsheba, it doesn't look like that's what's going on. That's all I have to say. I don't know what the motivation was for taking a bath on the roof. I understand, you guys, look at Culturally, they lived on their roofs, okay? I, they did. That, but it was not necessarily, specifically, a common practice to bathe on your roof. Not necessarily, Okay? So that wasn't necessarily a practice. To live out on your roof and have things going on out on your roof and, you know, eat dinner out on your roof or, you know, that was like their, that was like their patio, right? So that, that, that wasn't odd, but to be doing that was maybe considered a bit odd. So, but again, we're not positive exactly what the motivation was. But we can see those scriptures. So I guess the thought is, is today I watch so many, in particular younger gals that, you know, you, you see all the MTV stuff um, and the different things of what the world's saying is an attractive appearance. And, it, you know, we should be concerned about that. You should be concerned about what it is that someone's drawn to. That's, that's the best thing I can say. You know, what is it that you're wanting 
um, someone to be attracted to. And so there's nothing wrong with uh, dressing nice and looking nice and everything, but that's all I have to say about that. I think the scripture has said enough. Let's move on. So, obviously, now she's, uh, David and Bathsheba have had relations. She finds out she's pregnant. Now it gets even worse. Then David sent to Joab, remember Joab's the uh, uh, leader in, in his army, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house. He's basically saying, hey, go home, kick back at home for a while, hang out with your wife. That's basically what he's saying. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Now, you know what he's trying to do, right? Right? It's pretty common sense here. But uh, David's trying to send Uriah, set him up to go down, have relations with his wife, and then therefore, hey, everything's taken care of. You know, she's going to have a baby, and boom, bang, bing, there you have it, right? And so all the tracks are covered, everything's cool, no worries. That's what David's thinking, right? That's, that's the whole M.O. with this thing. So Uriah, he asked him, why did you not go down to your house? David asked Uriah that in verse 11. And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife as you live? And as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He says, man, he's a guy of integrity, man. He goes, no, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm, I've got guys that are serving under me and in battle and stuff. I'm not going to go do that. That's not right, man. These guys are risking their lives and all this stuff, and I'm not going to go party and hang out. No way. And David said to Uriah, wait here today, also and tomorrow, and I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem uh, that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him and made him drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed and with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. He's still, he's trying to get him wasted and then send him down to go hang out with it, but he still wouldn't leave. He still wouldn't do this, okay? So David's just trying to cover his tracks, right? Now, this is what happens. The main bulk or the, the main part of what we read out of James kind of started, right? Sin has taken place. You know, when lust is first conceived, because birth to sin, and sin always brings death, you know, that type of thing, right? It's all, it's all, the, the process is in motion, well in motion. Sin is, has occurred. And now, Proverbs 28, 13. We can read that one quickly. Proverbs 28, 13 tells us, He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Wow, that's pretty straightforward, right? Again, we're just watching the word play out. 
what God says in his word, how it plays out. Over and over and over again. And the thing that's crazy is no one's exempt. None of us. This is spiritual truth that's in motion. And man, no one's exempt from how this plays out. So, he's trying to cover his tracks. Uriah's just not responding to treatment. And in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Now, so now, Uriah's getting this letter from the king. He's just going to bring it. Now, that's a sealed letter. He's not going to open. He's not going to read. This guy's a guy of integrity. He's going to take this letter, and he's going to give it to his, the commander, Joab. And that's all. He's just, it's a note given to him to give to uh, the leader, Joab. And he wrote in the letter saying, this is what David wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. So he did exactly what David told him to do. Now, one of the things that you find in the effects of, of sin and as the process goes, one, in David's trying to cover his sin, he tries to take the matter in, into, onto himself and tries to, you know, hey, just let's party together and then you go home, be with your wife, blah, blah. You know, he's trying to, he's trying to orchestrate this. Very, it's very deceptive. It's very conniving. It's really bad news. But he's trying to work this out and trying to get this covered, cover these tracks because he knows what's going on. He knows what he's done. And he's trying to get this taken care of. Uriah's not responding to treatment, so now it goes on, and now he involves someone else in this process within the sin. And now not only is he in sin, David's in sin, but he involves someone else, Joab, in this process. He engages him in the process. This is where how sin is, this is this is the way it goes. This is why we have to be watchful and wise. If we see stuff going down and people aren't repenting, I pretty much stay clear. I don't want to get involved in that because you don't want to be like Joab in this either because this is, this is bad news, what he does. This is the effects. It involves other people, and it's causing Joab now to sin. Joab has Uriah basically killed. Now, I understand he's following his orders, but it's still, it's, it's just bad news. Now, Joab sent and told David in verse 18 all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, when you have finished telling the matters of war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerusalem? I can't pronounce that one very good. You can look at that one up on your own there. Was it not a woman who cast a piece of of a millstone on him from the wall so that uh, he died in Thebes. You know, this, she had this little chunk and she just threw it off of the wall and it landed and knocked him in the head and killed him. Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So in other words, hey, yeah, we did something lame, but we accomplished your purpose. Again, this is just bad, man, how he's entangled Joab. He's put other people in harm's way. All for what purpose? All to cover his own sin. 
This is when lying starts to set in, deceitful things start to take place, bad stuff starts to go on because you're trying to cover for sin. It's really, really a bummer. This is the natural progression that sin takes. I mean, very clear word picture for us. So, verse 22, the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of your king's servants are dead. And your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. And then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So, in, it's, and so he encouraged him with that. So it's, it's, it's almost like a, a crazy word game, isn't it? I mean, David knows exactly what he's saying. He knows the word he's getting back. Joab's just saying, hey, yeah, I pulled it off. I did exactly what you want to do. And David's saying, hey, yeah, okay, good job. You know, just now go take the whole city, be done with it. You know, that's what he's telling him. Just be encouraged. Hey, sometimes we lose people. Can you imagine, you know, the, the type of indifference? But isn't that what happens when you lie to cover sin? Because when you lie like that and when you do things like that, what happens is, is it, you feel justified in doing it because the end result is that it kind of, for you, you believe it's going to make things better. It's going to alleviate the pressure of what's gone on because of the sin. But it doesn't. One of the things I really is interesting about this to me is it's kind of like the good old boys kind of a club. Hey, we've all agreed with this, you know. Hey, Joab, he looks as I'm the king, and I'm telling you what to do, and we all agree on this, so this makes it okay. We've got to read on. When the wife of Uriah heard that uh, Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. And bore him a son. Notice this last part. Notice this last part. You've got to think that David in his mind is just thinking, whew, got through that one. That was rough. Had to kill one of my buddies, but hey, cost of doing business, I guess. You know, whatever. You know, whew, got, got that one. That one's, that one's covered up. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. One thing for certain, God sees and knows everything. That, in and of itself, helps to produce a form of holiness because of legitimate fear, right kind of fear, respect, reverence for God, knowing that God is God. He sees and knows all. And again, isn't it better to confess and go for mercy rather than to try and cover it up? Better to confess and go for mercy. And confession is simply just agreeing with God's word, agreeing with God. That's what, in a Christian standpoint, it's just agreeing. Yes, God, that is sin. Yes, God, I did that. That was sin. Confess it. Then you know, there's no covering any tracks. You, you plead for mercy and grace, and you go, God, help me and strengthen me that I wouldn't be such a fool. 
The other thing that strikes me in this, and this has been a pattern I've watched over the years, is that when sin kind of sets in, and there's often a pattern with, with sin, and when that sets in, David created a whole big scenario, didn't he? He's like a drama king. For the drama queens, he's kind of like a drama king, really, in this sense. He's created all of this other stuff, and yet you know who comes out valiant? He's the hero of his own comic strip. He's, he, he, he created the situation. He finds a, a, a foe, in a sense. He throws his buddy under the bus. You see? Hey, no worries, man. You know? No one saw me throw him under the bus. The thing is, is when you're twisting the truth, God hears it and knows it. God sees it. God's aware of it. They may not know. That's why I never worry about that kind of stuff, you know, too much. I try and look at people in the eye when I'm interacting with them, and I try and get a feel for whether they're being factual with me or not. But I know God knows, so I don't really need to worry about that. I, I'm, there's no, I, I'm done, I have no agency that I work for, you know what I mean? I got no badge, I got no, you know. I, you know, it's, it's between an individual and the Lord. You know, it's, it's, there's no secret service Holy Spirit police people, you know, you know what I'm saying? They don't exist. Let's read on just for a little bit for a moment, and then we'll finish out tonight. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him, and he said to him, Now, Nathan, a prophet. He's a guy that's walking with the Lord. He speaks the truth. David's, or Nathan's got a solid reputation. Nathan's a solid dude, okay, in the Lord. That's the way we look at him. This guy's right on. He's solid with his walk with God. Now, check this out. You may feel like you're a Nathan, and you may be to some extent, but you're not a Nathan to everybody. You know why? You don't have relationship of that kind of quality with everybody. Nathan had a direct relationship with David. He had a platform. That's the term you would hear me use. He had a platform, the level of friendship that allowed him to speak that truth. Brothers and sisters, if you don't allow people a rightful platform in your life to speak truth, you're hurting yourself. We all need to allow ourselves to hear from Nathan from time to time. Thank you so much uh, for listening today. This is Pastor Jim, and I'm really blessed that you've tuned in, and I, I hope that uh, God's really doing a, a fresh new work in your life. And oftentimes, uh, when we hear messages like today's message, the Lord starts to tug on our hearts, and, and he, he wants to hear from us. He wants our response, and that's just a prayer, a simple prayer of faith. And maybe you just need to get right with God. Maybe you need to repent and turn your life back over to the Lord. Maybe you just need to give your life to Jesus, and you've never done that before. This is your time. This is your opportunity. God's word goes out. And he's making himself known, and he wants you to live and have everlasting life.
incline your ear and come to him. And so Jesus is calling out to you, and it's your opportunity to respond and call back to him and just open that door in your heart. It's a simple response in prayer. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. If you just pray this simple prayer of faith, God will come into your life and make your heart his home. Jesus, I ask that you would do just that. Make my heart your home, that you would come in and forgive me of my sin. I want to ask you to be my personal Lord and Savior. I know this isn't about religion. It's about a relationship, and I want to start that relationship. You're calling out to me. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm in need of spiritual help, and so I'm calling out to you, God, asking that you would help me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making yourself known to me, and Lord, I just want to receive that gift of everlasting life. I want to thank you for it right now, and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.